Good afternoon. Good to see you back again. So this afternoon we're going to stretch the heart a little further and develop or look at practicing with gratitude. Uh, mudita is in the Pali. Uh, appreciation, appreciative joy, sympathetic joy, empathetic joy. There's a lot of words they use. It's the one that's the hardest to translate because mudita uh, translates as a gentle joy. It's also the only Brahma Vihara practice that also is considered one of the seven basic emotions that we have as a human being. And sometimes joy uh, can carry with it a, um, we might think it has a high pitch or a high register. They um, think it might be kind of too exuberant. But I don't think that's really the case so much. It also works really well and falls under the practice that we've been working on already around gladdening the mind. And as we know, we see, probably painfully, that we do have this negative attention bias built into our neurobiology, unfortunately. And so this actually really undermines that because uh, mudita practice, cultivation of, of, of really, the gratitude is the word that I use because it's a word that made, makes most sense to me. And it's just to recognize goodness. To recognize that which is good. And to look for it. And to hearken and to incline the mind to steer the attention towards enjoyable experience, enjoyable emotion. And there's a lot of subtlety in that as well. That a lot of what is enjoyable it, it might hum at a, at a register or a radar below what we're looking for. So for a lot of us, if it's not pleasant number six or seven, we don't notice it. <laughs> so my baseline for joy and pleasure is a, is a pleasant number five. Anything below unpleasant number five is unpleasant. So most of us are just really poorly calibrated. Our calibration is already something has to be pretty amazing for us to even have any sense of appreciation for it. For probably a variety of obvious reasons. So it, it's, a, it's maybe it's a skill, it's an ability, something that we want to become able to do, to be able to participate, to empathize, to participate, in all of the happiness, all of the joy, all of the beauty, all of the goodness in the world without the need for it to be mine. Without the need for it to be mine. And one thing I've noticed about my experience in my life in general is when I come to places like this, part of me wants to take it. Like I kind of want to take buy Acetos home with me. I want, I want it to be mine. I remember when I was a teenager listening to music and going to somebody's house and they'd be listening to a new record or something. I was like, oh, I gotta, I gotta get this. 
Like I'm hearing it right now. I'm actually experiencing the pleasure of this, but now I think I have to. Get, I have to have it. Mine. I want one. <laughs> and so it does have some antidote. So if we look at the opposite of that experience, it's an antidote, and it undermines things like jealousy which is not a particularly constructive mental state or attitude. So it undermines jealousy. Uh, it undermines envy. So being jealous about what other people have, having envy. I don't even like the record anymore because I'm envious that you have it and I don't. So now the joy is turned into envy. Pretty quickly. And the other, I think, psychological process that we find ourselves doing. Does anybody have noticed from time to time comparing yourself towards other people? <laughs> comparing what you have against what other people have? <coughs> and so that the envy, the jealousy, the comparing kind of is, a, is a, a type of defense mechanism. It might even be a type of a wound that seeks an arrow. We we're unable to participate in something that's enjoyable because it's not ours. How come them and not me? You might recognize this view, incomplete view. How come them and not me? You can hear it in the phrase. It's like, oh wow, really? I'm so happy for you that you just won the lottery. <laughs> so you never have to work again? <laughs> you just paid off your mortgage and all your student loans? <laughs> So happy for you. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so it has it has some abilities, it has some properties and characteristics. And it has the ability to recognize with a sense of gratitude. Even on a very small, small scale. And I think it's hard because we, again, want the charge of it to be so strong. But in an experience like the one we're having, can we you know, sit out in the field in the chair and bring a sense of, of gratitude to recognize, to recognize, there's that word again we've been using all week, recognize with a sense of, of a goodness, of this is good, there's a lot of goodness, there's a lot of beauty. Bringing a sense of Gratitude is the sense doors, the other sense doors, hearing the sounds of the nature here, seeing the beauty of the nature, feeling the warmth, the coolness, the food that you don't have to make. You know, or do we overlook that? I think it's really... Of Brahma Vihara practice, how practice I find this one is the most difficult. <clears throat> because one thing that I notice that we do is that we tend to actually repress joy. I'll give you an example of that. I was at this um, cultivating emotional balance retreat back in April uh, outside of Santa Cruz, and we were doing this. Part of the cultivating emotional, pra emotional balance practices is really what we'll do here 
this afternoon is called Harvesting Joy, where we're actually meditatively looking for subtle pleasantries, enjoyment, good qualities in meditation, and, and harvesting that and participating in that and focusing our attention on that. And so after I was gone for a week, I was away from my family for maybe 10 days or so. I was, I was at the Denver airport and my, my, uh, my partner Shannon and her son and really our son Emmett were going to meet me at the Denver airport. And so I was standing at the top of the escalator waiting for them to get off the train and come up the escalator. And I was really excited and I was happy to see them. And, uh, and then it hit me that I was like, a couple of trains went by. And then I was like, okay, I was like, I was like, but I, I was like, I don't want to seem too excited. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe that won't be reciprocated or, you know, I don't, I don't want them to know how much I love them. <laughs> so I'm going to repress the joy. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and I, I really, I totally caught this whole thing happen. And I was like, how, I was like, how much of this has been going on in the last 20 some odd years? <laughs> Just shut it down. Mm-hmm. Because it's maybe scary, or embarrassing, or we're afraid it won't be reciprocated, or a whole variety of things. It sounds strange to say, but I think if you start to pay attention and start to recognize that we oftentimes find ourselves repressing joy. Very common, actually. All the studies they've done around this emotion. It's actually one of the emotions we repress the most. I'm real happy to get angry. I'll get angry real quick. No problem then. Because that's so pleasant. No, it's comfortable. It's familiar. It's appropriate. It's strong. It's defensive. So these enjoyable emotions, enjoyable experiences, things simply as feeling warmth in the body, relief in the body, coolness in the body, can be something as simple as going from the seating posture, standing up and feeling the relief in your legs and enjoying that. Enjoying subtle things like patience, a sense of contentment, experiences here of feeling like the moment is good enough. It's okay to be here. Enjoying the reality that you actually don't have to do anything. Flipping the script from like, well, there's nothing to do here. To, I don't have to do anything? Yeah, well, that's because there's nothing to do. (laughs) (laughs) How many times in your life have you thought to yourself, man, I wish I just had some time to chill. I don't have any time for me. <laughs> and then you get seven days of time for you and you're like, I don't want to do this either. <laughs> I mean, not seven days. Just like 20 minutes would be cool. Probably just leave me alone for four or five minutes, I'd be all right. And so it's this ability to recognize goodness on a very basic level, all the way to the full range of enjoyable emotions. So patience, kindness, ease, contentment, curiosity, openness, spaciousness, 
flexibility, not having to know, not being hurried, not feeling demands. So much of that is, you have to, I find you have to look for it, to recognize it. And then we can kind of, oh, this is pretty good. Harvesting that joy, harvesting that joy. And so we want to be able to recognize with a sense of gratitude. We also want to be able to, and this is tricky, we also want to be able to enjoy without the need to have. Can I enjoy this temporary and permanent experience? I somehow, I want to, I want, I want, I want to take it. I want to take, anybody want to take out front with them? Mm-hmm. Mine. <laughs> And we get, we, get, we get exuberant, which is kind of the near enemy. Sometimes we get overly excited and we can't handle it. So again, this is why metamudita, this being at ease with joyous experiences without becoming too excited or becoming anxious that it's not going to last or feeling guilty that we're not enjoying it enough. Because it's really trying to understand that that part of mudita, part of this gratitude and appreciation is actually metta is present with that. And says it's easy to be easy about it. To be easily satisfied, easily contented. To not be greedy. It also has this ability and this characteristic of to increase in value and worth. One of the things that one of the things that I get to do as a meditation teacher is I get to talk to people a lot about their internal experience, which is kind of fun actually. And one of the things that, that we find a lot so much is this sense of unworthiness, which is a cultural epidemic. So this gratitude, this self appreciation practice, mudita, really helps us to increase our sense of worthiness. I'm worthy. I'm allowed to be here. I'm good enough. I'm fine. I'm good just how I am. And trying to actually rise to the occasion without being haunted by that. That's often for many people a wound that seeks the arrow. I'm, not, I'm unworthy, I'm not enough, I'm undeserving. Which is very cultural. Very American. You don't see this so much in Asian cultures. So we want to be able to cultivate a practice and have a practice for this. To kind of bring ourselves back into balance. And it, it is also a metta practice. It's, it, it's a different kind of metta. It's a different flavor of metta. It's a different characteristic. And so we can ask ourselves the question, are we even interested? Are you interested in participating in all of the beauty and joy in this world without the need for it to be your own? Because if it has to be mine for me to appreciate it, 
I'm cutting myself off from 99.9% of the joy and beauty in this world. And also when we talk about view, we talk about worldview, we talked about this a lot here in this retreat. A lot of times when we look at the world, we don't look at the world as a beautiful, joyous place. But there's a lot of really amazing people, a lot of really amazing things going on. There's so much beauty in this world. So much. Probably as much as there is the opposite of that. Maybe more. So taking in the good, gladdening the mind through that vehicle. All of the delicious food that we get to eat, all of the beautiful places we get to go, all of the people in our lives that are important to us. Without taking it for granted, I think it's a hard part for us. Take so much for granted. We have it so good. So easy. And we take things for granted and we become entitled and we become angry and cynical and sarcastic and, and cold and unappreciative. Well, I would appreciate things if they were better. <laughs> I mean, I can be grateful, but I mean... <laughs> <laughs> That sort of entitlement, which is such a destroyer of joy. <coughs> and there's also a very uh, common practice in, in this tradition uh, called the jhana practice, the jhanas, meditative absorption practices, which is really a practice that uses pleasant experiences as, as the object. which I have I'd actually sort of forgotten about because I've been such a grim Vipassana practitioner for so long. I said the first night, what's your object of practice? Oh, you mostly use dukkha. (laughs) 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 You just focus on what's difficult and hope for it to change. (laughs) Waiting for impermanence to kick in. (laughs) 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 Terrible practice. Don't go looking for the dukkha. God. <laughs> so we actually really incline the mind towards looking for that which is good, which is agreeable, which is pleasant. But then sometimes we get we go, but I thought Buddha, then you weren't supposed to do that, right? Because I'll get attached and I'll cling. we try to just approach that knowing that and you know you don't get it right all the time of course we cling a little bit and, but that's alright we have to there's a learning curve to all this so again we want to be able to participate can I participate and this is a practice of the heart and it's also a gladdening of the mind it's also just a more optimistic way and I know that sometimes when we become interested or we study the Buddhist teachings that they tend to carry on a grim 
because of suffering and some of the things the Buddha says. But I actually really think uh, my, my sense uh, currently, and, and really for quite some time now, is that, is that, is that the Buddhist view is really a, one of optimism. It's an optimism with some realism mixed in there, so we don't become totally delusional. But really trying to approach ourselves and the world in our direct experience with, with a sense of gladness, a sense of gratitude, a sense of appreciation, enjoyment, goodness, all of these all of these words that you know. And again, if we start to recognize that what often blocks that is a view that I'm undeserving of that. And we have we have to even practice even a little bit a little bit more with more diligence to overcome that view. That's a very destructive view. And so sometimes when we talk about these perceptions and views, which we've been really kind of kind of been has been an accidental theme of the retreat. Um, it's a great baseline to start practicing because in every moment there tends to be some kind of view. Right? I don't know about you, but the subject of Dave shows up a lot. The ongoing theme in my practice. <laughs> can't get a, you can't get away from this guy. <laughs> We're trying to bring a sense of uh, goodness and appreciation. So we'll do we'll do some practice around that and really try to move this into the remaining afternoon and really trying to get you to try to harvest some joy and to really kind of incline the mind looking looking for that which is good. It's also a liberation practice, so it's, it's a really a good way to practice with the third noble truth. This uh, awakened. Uh, liberation, uh, liberating the mind from these uh, destructive views and attitudes. So if you want to, you can adjust your body some and maybe stand for a moment before we practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.